Christ is risen. Mother Chelsea's grandmother uh, fell asleep uh, this past week, and so Father Daniel and family have uh, driven out to Dallas uh, to be there for funerals. So please keep them in your prayers as they're traveling, and keep me in your prayers as I'm filling in. You know, you think after you do this for lots and lots of years and solo for a lot of years, you just get you know kind of smooth. Uh, but trust is, is the truth is is you get a little rusty. And so, uh, and then, you know, and you just step in and it's, it's Chris, uh, Christmas, it's Pascha. Say, I told you. Rust up there, you know. Oil can. Um, you need, you know, you, you, so anyway, forgive me if, if I stumble and fall uh, verbally or something like that. When I was a child in a little country Baptist church, uh, we used to sing a, 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 a hymn. Uh, that began, have you failed in, your, in the plan of your storm-tossed life? Place your hand in the nail-scarred hand. Troy, you know this. Yeah, you've probably played it before. <laughs> have you failed in the plan of your storm-tossed life? Place your hand in the nail-scarred hand. Well, this is the Sunday of St. Thomas where we Orthodox place our hands in the nail-scarred hands. And I want to th- just to think about this. The, if you will... The only evidence, you know, in terms of like what do we point to when we think about what does it mean uh, that we live uh, after death? What does it mean that we're resurrected? That all we have to point to is Christ himself. And there's things we learn from that. We have no other examples to point to. Lazarus was merely, he was raised from the dead, but that's not the resurrection. In fact, we're told Lazarus goes on. I think he becomes bishop later in, it's either Crete or Cyprus, Cyprus, I think, uh, and and is martyred there. So he he dies a second time. But Christ, never to die again. And we see in Christ, uh, not simply raised from the dead, resuscitated, but raised triumphant over death, never to die again, with a kind of an existence that cannot die. St. Paul uses the term spiritual body uh, to describe uh, the body with which Christ is raised and with which will be raised. And, and in the language of St. Paul, to use the term spiritual and body in the same sentence is almost a contradiction. So it's paradoxical, a spiritual body. So today we have the disciples, the account twice, they are in a room with the doors locked. For fear of the Jews. They're scared. They don't want to get crucified themselves or other things. So the doors are locked. And Christ appears behind locked doors. Not as a ghost. That kind of thing. Not as something wispy. Uh, In fact, he says, you know, see me. Touch me. Not a ghost. So he appears there. So he's, whatever it is that is the existence of, uh, of the resurrected Christ, it's not limited by locked doors. Whatever it is about space and time that you and I inhabit, it doesn't hold the limitations in the resurrection that it does for us. That it does for us. So he appears behind locked doors. And yet, though he passes through locked doors, they nonetheless, you know, he says, touch me. And what I love is over in, uh, later in John's Gospel, where they uh, meet Jesus on, on the shore of Galilee, and he says, have you got anything to eat? 
And I'm thinking, oh, cool, we get to eat in the resurrection. And uh, it's always troubled me that he ate fish after the resurrection. And I thought, uh-oh, eternally, that's a problem for fish. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm not going to do a homily on fish problems uh, today. But you may, I was going to say, you may chew on that, uh, if you wish, <laughs> later. And just comprehend it and probably sit before God and say, oh, Lord, what does this mean? Um, but uh, it is these the wounds of Christ that I want to concentrate on today. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I kind of like to think that when I'm done being healed, uh, you know, if, and, and I'd like to think resurrection would heal you, uh, that if I were healed, I wouldn't be walking around with a large gaping wound in my side. You know? And so when we sing that little hymn, as, as, as Baptist boys put your hand in the male scarred hands, I tended to like to think that's because they were all healed up. You know, you could see where they were, but now there's no holes. You get a different picture, though, although in one of the verses we sang last night, it actually used the term scar. Uh, but uh, this image, say, when Jesus says to Thomas, thrust your hand into my side, uh, you assume there's something you could have thrust your hand into. And the fathers love this image. That they not only have, uh, in the hymns of the church, not only have Thomas actually doing it, which is what the scriptures don't tell us that he actually did it, but the fathers say he did, and they describe it as thrusting his hand into the fiery side of Christ. I love that image. I mean, it might be a gaping wound, but it's alive with the divine fire of God. It's not uh, the wound of pain and suffering that we know, uh, but is, in fact, uh, just a window into the very life of God. So, I don't know about you, I might have hesitated on that one. Jesus, it's on fire. Um, but we have this image uh, thrust his hand into the fiery side of Christ. One of the things that I think a lot about and have dealt with over the years as priest, uh, both here and in my other larger ministry, uh, is the problem of suffering. I've spent two years of my ministry uh, as a hospice chaplain, ministering to people who were dying. In my parish I served before that, I buried 120 people out of that parish. So I've done a lot of, seen a lot of suffering and death. And even the greater suffering of the mental pain and anguish that many go through from situations in their life or just from soul wounds and things like this. It's very uh, difficult. Uh, and there can be a problem when people begin to talk about God and their suffering that God seems somehow or another removed. Okay. Or even to think about Jesus, he did his three hours on the cross. And I know there's a lot of preachers who spend a lot of time talking about the, the, the crucifixion was the greatest possible suffering you can undergo. And I'm thinking three hours is bad, but it ain't what I've seen. I've seen three years. Of I've seen people that cousin thirty five years of unrelenting pain. That would have certainly equaled anything on the cross. But thirty five years, Jesus saw these things. A woman was bowed over for what was it eighteen years 
He couldn't stand up. These are painful things. But in his three hours, you know, and there's a part of me that at one point would want to say, Jesus, you've got three hours? What about us? What about us? What we see in the resurrection of Jesus is God's eternal promise to us about the nature of his relationship to us and our suffering. Jesus carries, and I like to say, wounds rather than scars. The wounds in his hands and in his side because though he has been taken down from the cross, has entered into Hades and trampled down death by death, then raised from the dead, even in the resurrection, the cross does not disappear. Even in the resurrection of Christ, God's union with us and our suffering has not disappeared. He has taken it into himself. Now, this is really important as we think about our life as Christians. It's possible, and I, I think there's sort of a creeping paganism that sneaks into our head in which, you know, here we are, we're so keen on our individualism and us as discrete individuals that we forget the nature of our true existence. Jesus says, greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Christ says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We say that we are buried with Christ in baptism, that in that we are united into his death. Jesus' death on the cross becomes my death. Jesus' death on the cross becomes my cousin's 35 years of suffering. Jesus' death on the cross is your depression. United to him. Jesus' death on the cross is your anxiety disorder. United to him. God has not come to talk to us at a distance, but has entered into us, united himself to us, such that Paul will say, if one member of the body, the body of Christ, of which Christ himself is the head, if one member suffers, the whole body suffers. You can't suffer in any way, shape, or form, including from your own sins. You cannot suffer in any way, shape, or form that does not touch Jesus. That he does not share, that he is not making uh, his own. He died on the cross for our sins, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, for our sins. So even our sins touch him and he has made them his own. Christ in me suffers with me. And St. Paul says if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him in glory. Uh, he has not promised us you know, in fact, he's really clear with the disciples. You, it's not, there's no promise that you don't suffer. There's a kind of, you know, theology that's rampant out there. And, of course, it had to start in America uh, where, you know, uh, everybody can be successful. Everybody can be prosperous. And then we'll get raptured out before the bad stuff happens to all those other people. Because why? Because God loves us. Well, God loves us so much, he united himself to us and said, take up your cross and follow me. There's no promise that of a, a, a Christian life without suffering, there's a Christian life in union with the suffering of Christ 
which is the healing of the world, that the whole world might be raised up and become no longer a gaping wound uh, of, of sorry pain, but a gaping wound that reveals the fiery love of God as seen in the side of Christ. Uh, that's, you know, St. Paul, who was no stranger to suffering in his life. In Philippians, his last letter he wrote from prison, Paul writes in Philippians, he says, that I might know. And he means union with him, that I might know him. The communion, he says, of his sufferings. He, Paul wanted to know the communion of Christ's sufferings. He didn't want to be separated from him. And as far as we can tell from reading about him, he is a prayer was being answered, you know, that I might know him. The communion of his sufferings. By the way, in King James and a lot of others, they'll translate that the fellowship of his sufferings. Kind of like going to, to a coffee hour with Jesus' sufferings. <laughs> it's, it's a bad translation. The word in Greek is kinania, koinania. Kinania, uh, the communion of Christ's sufferings, he said, and the power of of his resurrection. But he didn't think there was power of the resurrection without communion in his sufferings because what do we see in the resurrected Christ? We see the resurrected Christ still carrying our wounds. Our wounds. Thomas, reach your hand. Touch it. Touch it. It's going to be with you. It's going to be with you. One, Paul, one place Paul wrote and said, let no man trouble me hence. I bear in my body, the wounds of Christ. In fact, it's the word stigmata in Greek. Some have actually posited that Paul uh, had received the stigmata, the wounds of Christ, not visible to others, but invisibly within his body. He was crying out to be united with the sufferings of Christ. I believe that this is part and parcel of how we live our life in union with the resurrected Christ. Uh, our overcoming of the world, which he promised us, is a crucified overcoming of the world. We don't avoid pain, we take it up into him who has overcome it. Uh, and, I mean, and there's days that especially mental pain and stuff can be so hard you don't even want to pray, don't even know how to pray. I remember one time in my life... I was just so stricken with things that I found out I couldn't pray. And I asked a brother in Christ, would you mind praying for me? And he said, oh, yes. I said, no, no, I don't mean pray for me like an object. I mean, would you do my prayers for me? I'm at a point right now that I can't pray, and I need those prayers to be said. Would you pray my prayers? I didn't have any uh, uh, chapter or verse for it. It just seemed to me that the prayers needed to get prayed. And I wasn't capable of doing it. And that's, you know, what do you think brothers are for? What do you think the body of Christ is for? If one member suffers, we all suffer. Jesus couldn't carry his cross by himself. Someone had to help carry it for him. This is life in the body. So we, we make our way forward, not avoiding suffering, but in union with the wounds of Christ that overcome the world, bearing our wounds and union with Christ and assisting our brothers and sisters because if they suffer, I suffer. Assisting our brothers and sisters by helping them bear their wounds. Filled with kindness and mercy and love. Not with judgment. Not with harshness. But with 
mercy which God has extended to us all. I, uh, I, I find this to be so important in my life uh, as, I, as I confront my suffering and the suffering of others that this is not something in which I'm just saying Jesus over yonder, up yonder, now you're enjoying heaven and y'all are having a good time. Help us down here. Jesus is down here. Jesus has got skin in the game. He's got, he is utterly united to us. If we suffer, he suffers. St. Sophroni went so far as to say, so long as there is one soul in Hades, Christ is there with him. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he said. In Psalm 139, Lo, if I descend into hell, thou art there. So, and that's kind of my prayers. Jesus, whatever it is I've got to do, just don't leave me alone. Do it with me. Do it in me. And in you, I can do all things. Christ is risen. Amen.